Attention podcast listeners, this is Steve. So as you know, I'm a dad to many children, and this episode of the podcast unfortunately required some discussion of some very mature and disturbing thematic content. This is not the kind of stuff I want my kids listening to. If you typically listen to the podcast with your kids, or if they're in earshot, this is the time to shut it off, send them to go do something else before you finish. Um, Because once the intro music starts, we're going to be talking about it right away. So you've been warned. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of the 1 Peter 5 podcast, public Catholic teaching outside of the classroom and outside of the pulpit is so foreign here that it's so shocking and it's met with such resistance and and hostility. In my role as an RA, I'm required to post these bulletin boards. So in in large font, it said uh, marriage the way God intended it, one man and one woman. You know, several days pass, you know, last last week, there's a cartoon found in my bathroom depicting me being raped, being sodomized. You know, I have told them all along to come out with something to tell these students to stop harassing, stop intimidating. And then now it rises to a Title IX situation where I'm threatened with rape. And I was in my room, they knocked on my door and said, you know, would you like to move? We're concerned for your safety. And I said, well, yeah. Providence College senior Michael Smolanskis talks about the harassment that he has received for putting up a pro-marriage bulletin board at a Catholic college. The first thing that Michael and I did was go to the administration and ask them very directly to make a statement that Michael was not to be harassed, his bulletin board was not to be vandalized, and they simply would not do it. It was very troubling. I thought it was a very reasonable request, and I was shocked that they didn't. Longtime Providence College theology professor Dr. James Keating talks about his role as Michael's faculty advocate during this difficult time and the very disturbing lack of response from the school administration. If you are currently sending your child to a Catholic college or university or are thinking about doing so, this is an episode you can't afford to miss. Coming up next. You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. Hello and welcome to the One Peter Five Podcast, episode number 46. My name is Steve Skojak. I am the founder and publisher of One Peter Five and the host of the show. As you heard in the intro... We're talking today about Providence College in Rhode Island. Providence College is, despite its uh, rather secular name, a, a Catholic Dominican college founded in 1917 by the Dominican friars of the province of St. Joseph. Um, the Dominicans run the school to this day. Uh, and, the, and the province of St. Joseph is known as one of the better provinces uh, they run the Dominican House of Studies in D.C., which is a very popular place for many uh, conservative and traditional-leaning uh, priests and seminarians to, to spend some time in their studies. Um, but there's a problem at this campus. There's a big problem. Last year, it became famous. The school became famous uh, in a negative way because Dr. Uh, Tony Eslin, who is a fairly well-known Catholic author, writer, speaker, um, on important cultural topics of our day, uh, left his tenured position at the school because he'd had enough. 
with what was going on there. He was getting attacked for the things he was teaching. Uh, he felt that the school uh, climate had become far too politicized. He was just not uh, happy at all with the way things were going, and, and he just didn't see a way out um, for the school because they'd kind of backed themselves into a corner. This is my summary. He may, if I ever get him on the podcast, have a, a little bit of a different or at least more nuanced take, but there's the... Uh, the elevator pitch on that. So that was where I first heard about Providence College. Well, this week I heard about it again. And the reason is because there is a, a student there, a young man named Michael Smolanskis, who, um, he's a senior, he's a theology and philosophy major. So he's done his whole education there. Um, but he's an RA uh, at the dorm that he lives in. It's an all-male dorm. And uh, he's a resident uh, advisor. And one of his jobs as an RA at the dorm is that he manages a particular bulletin board that he is obligated to update, I think, once a month. And he's chosen to do various Catholic topics on this board uh, because he cares about his faith and he wants to educate people about it. And I think it was a month or so ago, um, one of the other dorms, probably in February, because it was the whole LGBT awareness month or whatever it is that they call it. One of the girls dorms had a bulletin board that was supportive of lesbian marriage. And the, and the bulletin board went up and nobody made a, a stink about it. And it was up for a month. So he became aware of it and he brought it to the attention of the administration. And the administration did nothing. Um, and I think feeling a little frustrated and wanting to provide a counterpoint when it was his turn to do another bulletin board, he did one about the sanctity of marriage, that it's between a man and a woman, that the Bible talks about what marriage is, that the Pope talks about what marriage is and that children have a right to grow up with a mother and a father. It was very Catholicism 101, but for some reason, it really kicked a hornet's nest. He wasn't polemical uh, in the way that the board was done. Um, but he wound up getting the kind of response you would expect from somebody who was intentionally trying to provoke people. Started getting harassing texts, started having people hanging around outside his room at night, making him feel uncomfortable when he left. Um, eventually, the people, uh, there were some RAs from other dorms who were letting themselves in at night, some of them against policy because uh, young women were not supposed to be in the men's dorm at night after hours. They were there. Somebody tore the bulletin board down. Um, and then to make matters worse, he walked into his bathroom one day and what he saw taped up was a, a hand-drawn cartoon, uh, with his name on it, depicting him being forcibly sodomized, raped, anally raped by another man as a punishment for him having put up this bulletin board. This is the kind of thing that, were it to happen in any other situation, had it been a young woman who had been depicted in that cartoon or a minority, I mean, the police would have been on campus. There would have been an investigation. Someone would probably have gotten arrested, at least thrown out of school. But because Michael at a Catholic college <laughs> put up a Catholic bulletin board supporting Catholic teaching... Nothing is being done. Nothing. He got a faculty advisor. 
The faculty advisor has gone to bat for him. He can't get any answers from the administration. The president of the college is a Dominican friar. He won't engage. Michael's parents have asked for a meeting with the president. He won't give it to him. This is not a huge school. This priest can make time to deal with this issue. And what I find particularly galling is that I'm right now, as I'm speaking to you, I am staring at the homepage of the Providence College website. It's providence.edu. If you want to go to it, just scroll down a little bit, and what you'll see is a large full-page image of the the chapel uh, overlooking the campus and, and overlaid with text that says Catholic and Dominican. What does it mean to be a Catholic in Dominican college? We invite you to explore this question and the distinctive mission of Providence College. I haven't taken the time to read the the linked page that is about Providence uh, College's Catholic and Dominican identity, but what I can tell you based on what I have read and heard over the last week is that it doesn't mean anything to be Catholic and Dominican at Providence College. It doesn't mean anything at all. Here we have a young man, a Catholic. He goes to a Catholic school. He puts up a bulletin board supporting Catholic teaching. He gets intimidated and harassed and essentially threatened with rape. Campus security takes it upon themselves to move him to a different dorm for his safety. He didn't ask, they offered. But the school won't do anything about it. And that's not the end of it. We're going to talk to Michael in a minute about everything that he's experienced. We're also going to speak today to Dr. James Keating, an associate professor of theology at Providence College, who has taken it upon himself to be Michael's advocate in theology, I mean, and faculty advisor. Um, Dr. Keating has really tried to help Michael, and they're struggling to get answers. And what, what, what we're seeing is a college faculty that is either complicit with anti-Catholic um, political correctness and, and the zeitgeist, or, or one that is afraid of those who are. This is you know, an academic issue. This is a Catholic issue. This is a free speech issue. And whatever your opinions, I, look, I know our audience is very traditional, and freedom of speech is not something that was always prized, uh, in the history of the church, but in an environment as secular as America and at a Catholic college, which apparently is as secular as Providence, the freedom for a Catholic student to speak his Catholic identity, that's important. Error might not have rights, but the truth does. So we're going to not waste any more time hearing my explanation of this. We're going to talk with Michael in a minute right after this. You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast. With me now is Michael Smolanskis, a senior philosophy and theology major and resident advisor at Providence College in Rhode Island. It's Rhode Island, correct? That's correct. Okay. And uh, it's also an ostensibly Catholic school. Uh, Michael has been the victim of uh, what I can only really describe as 
anti-Catholic bullying, although it's actually worse than that when it's happening at the college level. Uh, that sounds a little too trivial. Uh, and the result of uh, this happening, it's all because he put up a bulletin board in his dormitory saying that marriage was between one man and one woman uh, with some uh, references to the teachings of the Catholic Church. Michael, thank you for joining me on the podcast to talk about this. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for for having me, Steve. Yeah, my pleasure. So before we get to the issue at hand, uh, I would like to talk to you a little bit about you. Um, a lot of people describe themselves as Catholic, and obviously that means a lot of different things to lots of different people, which this story is is bearing out. So where would you say you fall in the spectrum of Catholic belief? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, like you said, I'm a theology major, uh, you know, faithful Sunday, you know, mass attendee. I'm, I'm a regular reader of 1 Peter 5. Uh, so, you know, firm, solid, you know, holds all the, the church teaches as true uh, sort of, sort of Catholic. So, yeah. Okay. Good. So we've established a baseline. You're an actual Catholic. Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it then about Providence college that attracted you to the school, um, as a supposedly Catholic school, how, you know, you said you're a philosophy and theology major. So how big of a role did the Catholic identity of Providence College play in your decision to go there? It was a huge role. I mean, when I applied to colleges in my senior year of high school, I applied to a whole variety of, you know, like you said, so-called Catholic colleges, you know, many that I knew that weren't really Catholic. Uh, I mean, for instance, I was accepted to Georgetown, uh, you know, which was very prestigious, but I chose not to go because I knew it wasn't really Catholic. And, and you know, same thing with Boston College and, and mm-hmm. others. And I landed at PC because, you know, I had been told and had, had researched that it was known for, for a solid uh, Catholic reputation. But you got there and what did you find? I mean, you're a senior now, so you've spent several years there. How has your experience been as a Catholic? Do you you know, there's campus ministry, the masses, are you getting uh, spiritual direction? What has been your read on Catholicism at the school? Well, you know, the Dominicans are, uh, they also are on a spectrum. And, uh, you know, the older generation is kind of, you know, typical of, you know, that group where they're, they're very liberal. They are, you know, they're, first of all, they're hostile to the younger generation in, in many ways, um, and they're not, you know, as faithful as they should be to, to what the church teaches. The younger ones, on the other hand, that we, we continue to see new young Dominicans come on campus, they're bold, fresh, you know, you know really ready to fight uh, for the truth and for the faith. Um, but, you know, the climate here has declined even in my four years. When I showed up, I mean, it wasn't, it was not, it wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. And, and here we are at a point where, you know, being public about your faith isn't welcome. I mean, campus ministry runs some great programs and they're, they're active in so far as you walk into the campus ministry center. Um, and even there, there's a hesitancy to talk about the content of the faith. There's a lot of, you know, feel good, uh, stuff as they have, you know, pizza parties and, you know, all sorts of things. But if you walk in there and you want to actually talk about doctrine or, or what the church teaches, I mean, even that is, is frowned upon. So it's, it's been in rapid decline, even in my four years here and, and certainly has come to a head, uh, in, in the last few days. Hmm. That's, that's really depressing actually. But I mean, 
you know, there's kind of a high profile situation that went on there last year. Professor Anthony Eslin, who's very well known, famously gave up on a long battle with the college. Uh, at the time, he said of his decision to leave his tenured position there, quote, to live at a used to be Catholic school, no longer committed to the humanities, where all the big decisions are basically secular in their inspiration and aim on a campus that is highly politicized and therefore treacherous. No, that's not for someone of my years, end quote. Do you think his assessment is correct? Is going to such a school something for people of any age if they have real beliefs? Yeah, you know, Dr. Eslin is, is right, you know, on the mark there. And of course, I've been in communication with him in these last days and sort of parallel situations that have gone on between the two of us. And again, I was here when, when he went through uh, his ordeal and, and now I'm experiencing it myself. And again, back to the Dominicans, I mean, they have, especially the province of St. Joseph, uh, the province that, that runs the school, they have a reputation for orthodoxy, um, uh, especially compared to some of the other provinces. And even they have now become susceptible to being, you know, overrun by a, a radical leftist agenda. He's in, he's totally correct. There's a secular wind has swept through the school uh, right up, you know, all the way through the administration and a, and a dramatic shift away from, from truly being a Catholic college. Can you tell me, I mean, are they an ex-Corte Ecclesia school? Do they have to take, the professors have to take an oath of fidelity to the magisterium? Um, I, I don't want to say because I'm not positive, but I, I haven't heard that that's the case. Okay. Cause that's a big deal. I know on, you know, I went to Franciscan university of Steubenville, uh, several of the, the more, uh, well noted for orthodoxy Catholic schools, all, at least all the theology faculty, I think, um, I don't know that the philosophy professors have to, but they might choose to, but a number of the professors, I think outside the discipline of theology following John Paul II's encyclical ex corde ecclesiae, in the heart of the church, they take the uh, the oath of fidelity to the magisterium and they receive in exchange a, a mandatum, a mandate to teach from their local bishop. Um, and it helps to keep them sort of on the up and up with theology. So I was curious if that was something that they did there, because I know that it's something that people look for in these schools. So, all right, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the college, but I want to talk about what actually happened to you. Um, you're an RA in a dorm. Talk me through the sequence of events that kind of transpired that led to the present moment. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a resident assistant. Uh, my role is to, to be a point of contact, a resource for the students. And I'm in a male, all male freshman dorm. And this particular freshman dorm is the only dorm on campus that is co-sponsored by campus ministry. They have an initiative called the Gentlemen of St. Joseph program. This is in St. Joseph Hall. And uh, it's, like I said, it's co-sponsored by campus ministry and therefore supposed to have a faith component to it. And so throughout the year, I mean, I have posted as in my roles in RA, I'm required to post these bulletin boards. And you know, I put up a pro-life board one month. I put up how to be a Catholic gentleman. Uh, there's been several others. And so this, this month, I decided to go something of Catholic church teaching. And I mean, the hostile reaction. I mean, back to what you're saying about the environment on the school. I mean, Catholic teaching, public Catholic teaching outside of the classroom and outside of the pulpit is so foreign here that it's so shocking and it's met with such resistance and, and hostility. So let me ask you a couple of specific questions. So first of all, you're saying that you have a history of putting this kind of stuff up. You've done it before, right? Yeah. 
yeah. without any pushback? Yeah, I mean, every RA is required to put up a bulletin board every month. Okay, and it's something of your own choosing. Yeah, the topic, there's no governing principle of what can or can't be put up there, but they, they do encourage political content if it's their political content. Okay, so you've done this before. Um, was this bulletin board that you put up on marriage uh, in response to anything in particular? That's a great question, Steve, because there was a, a pro-lesbian bulletin board that was up for the entire month of February in one of the female residence halls. And, of course, there okay. was no reaction to it whatsoever. It stayed up there untouched for a month. Nobody said anything. And I think you and I would firmly agree that that is directly contrary to the mission of the college as a Catholic school. I raised an issue through the chaplaincy office about that, and nothing was done. Um, and so then I went and put up my board and, and I've told everybody that it wasn't a direct response necessarily to that board. Uh, but it would, the more, the purpose of it was of course, a, the instructional, you know, there's content on there to, to, for people to, to see and learn, uh, but also to just expose a double standard that something like the pro lesbian board can exist untouched and untalked about for an entire month because it fits a certain agenda. And then something like this is not even remotely protected in the same way. And like I said, of course, I would argue that the school had an obligation to, to remove the other one uh, and protect this one. Right. So, okay. So what did your bulletin board say? So in, in large font, it said uh, marriage the way God intended it, one man and one woman. And then it had a, a large photograph of Pope Francis blessing a child with a quote from the, the, the Holy Father that says, you know, every child has a right to grow up uh, with other and a father. And then, you know, had a biblical quote on there, the two uh, should become flesh. And then just a few small images, uh, you know, one said marriage should be reinforced, not redefined. Another said, uh, you know, marriage, uh, God ordained it, nature reveals it, science affirms it, a picture of married couple. And that was it. So just real basic stuff. I mean, this is not earth shattering stuff. This is stuff anybody should, uh, you know, either hear or be familiar with, uh, you know, having gone to mass uh, and, you know, <laughs> taking a catechism class. Anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a Catholic school, obviously. And it was, there was nothing provocative on there. There was nothing um, that, you know, addressed any individuals or certain groups because I've been accused of, of hate speech and homophobia for what I did. Uh, because people are saying I targeted, uh, you know, homosexual or LGBTQ groups or, or that sort of thing. But but it was non-polemical. It was literally just, hey, this is what the church says about marriage. Yeah, it was just a positive affirmation of, of you know, uh, something that the church teaches. Okay, so what kind of reactions have you gotten? You mentioned accusations of hate speech and homophobia, which, you know, the favorite rhetorical cudgels of the left. Of course. What, what else uh, happened? So immediately upon putting the board up, I started receiving uh, text messages from fellow RAs who are, so you should keep in mind that as an RA, I'm an employee of the college also. And so other employees of the college, other RAs are texting me, telling me this is discriminatory and, and all of that sort of thing. And then they start showing up. Several RAs show up in the building late at night, uh, presumably to seek me out. A couple RAs tear down the board. Um, you know, they, they're, they're, like I said, in my building after hours where they're abusing their power to get into the building. Uh, and public safety becomes... Wait, did you say these 
Ferraris from other dorms? Yes, from other dorms entering. Are they allowed to do this? Are they allowed to give themselves entry to any dorm they want for any reason? Well, they can, but not after visitation hours. So, for instance, you know, we at, at midnight, uh, female students are not allowed in the male residence halls. And, you know, there was a female RA who let herself into my building after those visitations. So when I was in college uh, 20 years ago now, which makes me feel old, um, the RAs had keys to get into the door. Uh, but now, do they have like key cards that they use to get in and out that, you know, would log entry? Yeah, you, well, I don't know if it logs entry, but they're just like swipe cards. Okay, huh. Well, I mean, if there's if it's an electronic card, I would assume that it logs entry. And I'm just curious because, again, these are actionable security items. Um that, you know, you would think that the school could check uh, to see that there's people doing stuff that they're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they just have raised, even there was a subsequent night where a larger group had crowded outside my door in my hallway, and it was after the the time frame that they're allowed to be there. And I raised the issue to one of my bosses who showed up, and she said, well, she said it's not that far after, uh, you know, uh, said, well, if it was me, I'm sure you'd be saying Wait, hold on, hold on. In a normal case basis, how quickly would those people get written up? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is I'm I'm charged with enforcing rules to my residents that that the my coworkers, therefore, you know, they don't have to live by themselves. Is this an angry, you know, pitchfork and torches mob? I mean, what was what were they doing out there? Well, the, the first night it was, you know, like someone, a fellow RA let themselves into the building. Uh, a couple of RAs tore the board down and this RA who let the, himself in, he replaced my bulletin board with a, a banner that said here at Providence College, we love everybody. Um, and then, you know, another female RA let herself in, like I said, presumably trying to find me. I don't know why they, why else they would uh, come in. And on subsequent nights, though, it's larger groups. They're congregating in the hallway. They're, they're sort of milling around outside the bulletin board. Um, you know, and I, I step out to, you know, walk down the hallway to, to use the restroom or to brush my teeth or something. And they're, they're there and they're waiting. And, you know, they're not, they're not being particularly, I mean, they're not like, like shouting or anything. Um, although when I went out to go take a picture of them one time, they started shouting at me. Um, but I mean, they're just, they just keep showing up and they're clearly trying to intimidate and harass. I mean, like this was you know night after night for a while. Um, you know, of course you've asked for help with this situation and none, nobody in the administration is doing anything to assist you. Oh no. I mean, like I had to, so I had to be relocated to a different building that first night for my safety, public safety relocated me across campus. Who made that decision? They offered it to me as a safety precaution. I was in my room, they knocked on my door and said, you know, would you like to move? We're concerned for your safety. And I said, well, yeah. But doesn't that indicate, I mean, if they're concerned for your safety, this is something that needs to be addressed and they recognize that. Yeah. And, and I've said all along to people that much of what has happened in my mind is preventable. I mean, you know, several days pass, you know, last last week, there's a cartoon found in my bathroom depicting me being raped, being sodomized. And, you know, I have told them all along to come out with something to tell these students to stop harassing, stop intimidating. And then now it rises to a Title IX situation where I'm threatened with rape. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this picture of this cartoon. LifeSite News uh, published it in their article about your situation. 
And, um, I mean, it's pretty grotesque, you know, it's, it's very stick figure cartoonish, but it is, um, it's obviously insulting and degrading. Um, did it come across to you more as some kind of a sick joke or did you actually perceive this as this is threatening? I perceive it as, as threatening. I mean, I'm named in it. Uh, and it says, you know, I believe the quote on it is, you know, what did I tell you about putting up your poster? Uh, and it has me, you know, pleading, you know, saying stop and sorry or, or whatever it says. Um, so this is your punishment for putting up this, this bulletin board is what's basically the theme that's being depicted. Yeah. And then, you know, on uh, a few days later, I believe it was over the weekend, I find another um, thing taped to the wall that says, why did you take down my meme? which I assume references the, the stick figure uh, rape cartoon. And so I, I perceive it as threatening. I mean, everybody is aware of, you know, the, the sexual assault rape crisis situation we have on college campuses. These are taken, Title IX situations are taken very seriously. And, you know, I, I presume that it is a threat. And it's not being treated as such because I am, you know, I'm not a female, I'm not a minority, um, they, they don't take it as serious. Well, I mean, that's, what's crazy to me is if, if it were a young woman in your situation, um, and, and uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to test this. If it were a young woman who would put up a, a pro marriage bulletin board, I don't know if they would have treated her this way or not because it's, it's so much more sensitive, but there's literally no, I mean, the police would be there. There's no way you know, someone being named in a cartoon depicting graphically anal rape is going to, that's not going to fly at any, any institution anywhere I've ever heard of. And yet the school has done what about this cartoon? Nothing. I mean, and they have, they have, they have come down harder on much less on this campus. And by way of administrative response, basically there's been three responses. The first response was an email um, sent to student leaders on campus uh, from the vice president of student affairs, Christine Goodwin, telling people that I took, took church teaching out of context and that um, she encouraged them to attend. They're having a, a march in protest. Uh, so she, In protest of what? Because my board is being construed as homophobic and hate speech, they're now having a march against homophobia. But hold on. What they have done to you is not hate speech. No, no, of course, because, again, it's, it's, it's a one-way street, and they are protected, and I am not. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I know now, bad, but really? Well, I mean, it, it gets worse. The president, Father Brian Shanley, he also sends out a communication to students. Um, you know, he gives a, a very quick nod that Catholic teaching can't be considered homophobic. You know, thank you, Father. Um, but then he it was immediately goes into suggesting that it seems to suggest that what I did was uncharitable in some way and that this sort of stuff ought to be reserved for the classroom uh, and the pulpit. So, you know, two administrators, the president and the vice president, they they clearly take sides uh, that they don't they do not condemn the rape cartoon whatsoever. And they, I've also been asking them to affirm uh, the mission of the college as being consistent with the content of the board. They will not do that. Um, the only glimmer of hope that has come out, you know, from, from anybody in, in any level of authority is from the four chaplains, four young Dominicans 
uh, take it upon themselves to come out with a statement that was was very good that they they affirmed church teaching they they exposed the other lesbian bulletin board they did a nice job i had hoped they would come out and actually say for people not to march they came up short of that but it was it was pretty good especially considering and you know it's it's what i was saying before that you have a spectrum of dominicans here I mean, the young guys, by and large, are terrific. They came out with something that went, it, I don't think, you know, it's not necessarily their role to have gone much farther, but they went significantly farther than the president himself. Yeah. So we have, I, I, I see this as sort of a multifaceted situation. You are a student of this school, a paying student of the school, receiving uh, harassment, intimidation, and threats uh, for expressing your opinion about something that should be totally within the confines of the school's charter as a Catholic school. That's, that's one. But secondly, as you mentioned earlier, you're an employee of the school and you're receiving threatening and intimidating behavior from fellow employees um, in the form of other RAs. And I just, this blows my mind that the college is not, not recognizing the enormous liability well, but they're opening themselves to here. Yeah, no, you're 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 exactly right, Steve. And the problem is, is I've continually asked them to uh, condemn the harassment and the threats, which they haven't. And last night, you know, not only will they not condemn them, they're facilitating it. So last night they hold a meeting. There's there's about seventy five RAs. They hold a meeting uh, with all seventy five RAs, our supervisors, several deans of the college. Uh, two Dominican priests, public safety is there. It's a whole spectacle to talk just about my bulletin board. And so I, as the one who put up the board, who's been vilified and and victimized, again, the victim of a Title IX uh, situation, have to walk into a room of over 75 people uh, so that they can vent their frustrations about how much I've harmed people. And they are given an open an open floor, an open forum to attack me directly. And it gets worse, Steve. They have the shades drawn, the doors are closed, and then they try to confiscate everybody's cell phones so that there's no record of what happened in that room. I left. Who was trying to do the confiscating? Who was in, in charge of that? A couple students complained because they're starting to see the news articles come out that they didn't want to be caught you know, on the record. They didn't want someone taking a photo or recording something. So uh, a student suggested that everybody power off their phones and hand them over, and the administrators went with it. And they then, then required us to hand over our cell phones. And I left. I would not sit in a room uh, with no protection whatsoever. And like I said, in what world would any other Title IX victim be subjected to you know, a public trial, basically? You have no advocate with you of any kind. Nope. This is... Wow. wow. Okay, so let's look at so where we go from here have you first of all received any actual communication from bishop tobin i saw that he tweeted something that seemed to vaguely reference the situation but have you gotten any kind of more substantial support from the diocese he um yeah he, so he tweets uh, a, a sort of reference to what's going on he also retweeted a um a statement that came out from a group of professors um, so a group of professors penned a statement of support in me and, and pleading with the college to affirm its Catholic mission. Uh, so he also retweeted that. Uh, and, and I've told people, too, I said, you know, in, in some sense, 
you know, I think people would say that's not very much, but in another sense, you know, social media is very public. And I mean, he, he himself is on LifeSite News sometimes for some, you know, he's, he's kind of a culture warrior. This is Bishop uh, Tobin, the good guy, not Cardinal Tobin, the bad guy. Yeah, this is, this is the good Bishop Tobin. It's not Bishop Tobin of Newark, New Jersey. This is... No. Bishop no. Tobin of uh, Rhode Island, yeah. So, but have you have you contacted the chancery? Have you talked to anybody at the diocese to say, you know, look, this is going on, and uh, you know, where are my rights as a Catholic? I mean, anything? Well, uh, we were supposed to have a meeting with Bishop Tobin, um, so I had written him a letter, uh, and he, uh, one of his priests, called me very shortly after he received that letter and, and granted me a meeting uh, with him. Now, the meeting didn't happen; it was postponed. Um, you know, it's, it seems that, uh, some news articles started to break and, and my understanding is that he wanted to, to press pause and evaluate the situation, which is totally within, uh, his right to do, of course. And, but I've been reassured several times from, from a priest of the chancery that, that we will get to meet with Bishop Tobin soon. Well, I mean, frankly, if, <laughs> if dioceses and college administrations moved to actually act in a Catholic fashion, in a reasonable amount of time, news articles and podcast interviews and all this kind of stuff wouldn't be necessary for you to be able to have any kind of standing, any kind of chance at fighting back against what is manifestly unjust. So, you know, if they, if they don't like that kind of thing, then maybe they need to get on the ball. Yeah. And I, I have, you know, every, like you said, this is the good Bishop Tobin. I have every confidence that he's doing things behind the scenes. Good. Uh, I mean, my, my question is, is where is the provincial, of the Dominican order. Uh, this is a Dominican run school and, and father Shanley answers to, to the provincial. Um, so that's the troubling that the, you know, within the hierarchy of the Dominican order, there ought to be some real grave concerns here. Well, okay. So what's your next step? I mean, it doesn't seem you're not getting a receptive response from the college. The diocese may or may not be helping you. I mean, is litigation the only way to protect your rights in this case? Uh, it seems like it's moving that way, Steve. Uh, I mean, how many times can you keep asking them to protect you uh, before you go and protect yourself? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this, you know, is, yeah. this is not just uh, a harassment in Title IX. This is also a free speech case. Precisely. Precisely. I mean, there's a tremendous, like I said, there's a double standard. Um, you know, they have an obligation to to publicly uphold my free speech. I mean, this is a, this is an institution of higher education, you know, uh, it's really troubling. Yeah, it is. So, um, you know, I mean, it sounds like the faculty and the administration are overwhelmingly, uh, in the bag at Providence college, uh, for the pro LGBT movement. Um, and now obviously the student body is as well. What has this brought you to conclude about so-called Catholic colleges? I mean, is there such a thing anymore outside of a few universities? Like I mentioned earlier, those, you know, the ones where the professors have to take the oath. Is there any meaning or value for most parents to send their kids to ostensibly Catholic institutions if this is the way they're going to treat the teachings of the church and those who uphold? That's a, that's a terrific question. My, my sense is that, uh, of course, it's a great tragedy where our Catholic schools are. And, you know, if we think back that, you know, Catholics are and always have been the leading educators, leaders in healthcare with hospitals and, you know, first rate uh, institutions, uh, especially including education. And, you know, we're finding that, you know, Notre Dame or Georgetown or Boston College, while they are, you know, highly reputable in the in the world of academia, they they have a non-existent Catholic identity and, and even become a punchline. Really? Yeah. I mean, amongst Catholics. 
like, oh, oh yeah, Georgetown, mm-hmm, that's Catholic. <laughs> exactly. And and now we're even seeing, you know, Providence College is not on the level in any way of some of those schools, but even a small school like this is going that way. I mean, you really have, you know, like Dr. Eslin, he went to Thomas More, uh, you know, other these these really small schools which which are doing there are some small catholic colleges that are doing tremendous things but it is a it's a travesty that you know our largest most reputable catholic institutions uh have have completely given way and then and therefore catholic education is not you know competitive anymore well the crazy thing is i mean in just a few months you're going to become an alumnus of providence college and a few months later after that they're going to start calling you and asking you for money because that's <laughs> what they do and they're not, they're not going to have any self-awareness of who you are and what the situation was. Um, and it's, it's that kind of tone-deaf thing uh, that happens um, that, you know, you're in a position where you're going to be going out into the world and you're going to have a choice. Do I recommend this college to other people or do I say, hey, watch out for it? It just blows my mind that, that they're willing to, to throw that away for nothing. I mean, just for not running afoul of the zeitgeist. Um, so let me ask you this, then this is, this is really, you know, my, my concluding question that I, I saw that you're getting married at the college chapel this summer, which, you know, you have to get special permission to do this. And, you know, this is an effort that you made. Uh I have to be honest. Me, after all this, I would not want anything to do with the school. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to associate, you know, this very special day with being on campus and doing all that. You say you're doing this as a final witness to marriage for the school. Is that really the motivation? I mean, are you going to feel good about doing it there? <laughs> yeah, I think so, Steve. You know, when when my fiance and I decided, you know, we, we got engaged last the end of last June, and, you know, immediately uh, there was not even a discussion between us. It was just almost assumed that we would get married at Providence College. Uh, she comes from far away. Um, so this is this has been our church. This has been our home for for four years. And so that was mm-hmm. it was so natural to us. And, and obviously, only recently, even she has said to me, you know, what do you still think about getting married there? And. You know, and there are people and, you know, yourself may may feel differently, but the way I see it is, is it's, it's one thing for me, I'm, I'm, I'm doing interviews, I'm, I'm, you know, helping write articles and, and, you know, witness to the truth of, of our faith and of marriage in, in this way. But I think that is an even more powerful witness to marriage uh, to, to have that, to have my wedding uh, our wedding take place here on this campus, that there is nothing that will destroy, uh, you know, what we are about. And, you know, we are firm, faithful Catholics and, and that needs to happen here. It needs to physically happen here. People need to see it. People need to know about it. Um, and, you know, for me, after all this has gone on, I, I want even more to get married at Providence College because they need to see it. Well, uh, Michael, I appreciate your fighting spirit. My hat is off to you for uh, handling this with uh, calmness and with uh, magnanimity. Uh, I can hear that you still have your sense of humor about all of this, even though it's obviously a difficult situation. Um, Let us know if there's anything else we can do. And thanks for coming on to talk to us about it. Thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, podcast listeners. Most of you know that 1 Peter 5 is a tax-exempt organization. We're set up in the United States as a 501c3, 
dedicated to educating the public about the Catholic faith and the events that shape it. It also means that donations to 1P5 are tax-deductible where permitted by law. We provide our content for free in order to reach the greatest number of people possible with the truths of our faith. Our website is viewed hundreds of thousands of times per month, over 7 million times last year alone. We're among the loudest voices leading the fight against the corruption of Catholicism, but we need your help. As a reader and listener-supported organization, we can't do this work without you. If you believe that what we do here is important, I'd like to ask you to pause this podcast right now and go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate to show your support. No donation is too large or too small. Every bit helps us to advance our mission of rebuilding Catholic culture and restoring Catholic tradition. Thank you for your support. Joining us now is Dr. James Keating, Associate Professor of Theology at Providence College and the Faculty Advisor for Michael Smolanskis as he navigates this whole situation. Dr. Keating, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. So this situation with Michael is pretty disconcerting to me. Uh, It's troubling not just because he's being subjected to harassment and intimidation, but because it seems that the administration of the college uh, is disinterested in doing anything about it. Um, You seem to be the exception to that. What can you tell me about the situation from your perspective? Yes, the, the first thing that Michael and I did was go to the administration. I had written emails before that, but we'd gone to the administration and asked them very directly to make a statement uh, that Michael was not to be harassed, mm-hmm. his bulletin board was not to be vandalized, and they simply would not do it. It was very troubling to me. I thought it was a very reasonable request. They didn't have to. Um, they didn't have to uh, agree with the board because the people we were speaking to do not agree with the board, mm-hmm. and um, but nonetheless. Colleges should protect their students, especially when they're being they're not, not feeling safe. And I don't mean feeling feeling safe from ideas they don't like, but actually not feeling safe in their person. Right. Um, and I thought they would do it. I know all these people very well. I've I've been here almost twenty years, and I was shocked that they didn't. So when you said that they wouldn't, does I mean did they just completely ignore the request, or did you get a no? What we got was that they would they would make a statement about um, the need for everyone to respect each other and to work through difficult issues. Mm. <laughs> that was not our request because, right. of course, that could be seen uh, as I think it was when it ultimately came out as more about condemning Michael mm-hmm. for offending people than um, protecting Michael. You know, something that I asked him, actually, that I want to ask you as a theology professor, is Providence College and Excordia Ecclesia School, he didn't know? Uh, I don't believe so, no. Okay, so you guys don't have to take the oath of fidelity to the magisterium to have your mundatum no. to teach theology or anything like that? No, okay. no, not at all. Okay. Um, it just, I, we, 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 we basically go with the notion that the mundatum between the getting the mundatum is purely a personal matter. Mm-hmm. At with with no uh, um, with, with no expectations or no even in, in for, uh, information uh, transfer with the college. 
Okay. Yeah, it's, I, and I'm curious, on a personal level, I'm an alumnus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. All the professors there have to have a mandatum to teach, even if they're tenured. If they lose the mandatum, they don't get to continue teaching. And so there seems to be right. a certain correlation uh, in schools where that happens between, I think, a more strong and, and protective Catholic identity. And the, the, so this is kind of what I'm trying to get at here. So Providence College is a Catholic school, but it's not protecting the Catholic identity of one of its students. And you pointed out something in one of your other media interviews that I think was really important to consider. Um, you kind of put the shoe on another foot. You said that if a female student had put up a poster about a different issue and had been subjected to a cartoon depicting her being raped as a consequence of her views, how would the college react then? I mean, do you have any doubt whatsoever in your mind that it would be handled differently in that situation? No. The, the, the example I used was if someone put up a poster that said, uh, God loves the dreamers, referring to DACA, mm -hmm. which the president has made numerous statements on to say we'll protect, you know, DACA students and such. Mm -hmm. And if that student had put something like that up, which perhaps could be offensive to people who have different views about immigration, mm -hmm. but is connected to, the, the roughly connected to the stance of the American bishops, um, and if that student had been harassed in any way, if the sign had been torn down, the college would have gone into full lockdown, and especially if the student had been threatened with rape, it, I don't think we'd even be conducting classes. Yeah, I mean, th um, there would be police on campus, right? This would be a pretty absolutely. big deal. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's very clear, you know, Providence College, I'm sure you're familiar with these kinds of things, when I came here 20 years ago, we were one of the holdovers. You know, you have to divide Catholic colleges and universities between the sort of the startups or the restarts, like Steubenville, mm -hmm. and um, most of the colleges in which Catholic identity has gone the way, you know, gone away, uh, or has been reduced to social justice. Right. You know, certain social justice courses. Uh, uh, causes ex exempting pro-life and those kinds of things mm -hmm. um, and colleges that for for whatever reason kind of held on more or less to their Catholic identity when I came to Providence College we were one of those places we were you know we were on the Newman guide we were, we were just simply one of those places like University of Dallas would be another one yeah that people knew that Catholicism was you know it wasn't Steubenville it wasn't Christendom but it was a pretty strong. Uh, when I came, there were many older professors, members of what I call the Flannery O'Connor generation, that you know were Catholic humanists, and it really imbued the place. That has all changed now. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's interesting because obviously Professor uh, Tony Eslin left the school last year, and it was a pretty big deal when he left. Um, and he kind of talked about this idea of, you know, that he could live with a school that was committed to the humanities, like Providence College used to be. Um, he could live with an unreservedly Catholic school where humanities needed to be shored up. But what he couldn't do is to be at a, at a Catholic school no longer committed to the humanities where big decisions were secular, uh, and the campus is politicized and treacherous. It's an impossible, system to navigate and i mean i kind of feel like that's sort of a bellwether he left and now the next thing you know this is the next big story i think that's exactly right um the, the big change that 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 happened at providence college uh 
which in many ways is a very good and needed change, is that we were committed, we, we began to be committed with our president, Father Brian Shanley, to diversity. We were basically a upper-middle-class school for kids from Long Island and, you know, Boston and things like that. And we needed to reflect, you know, the diversity of the church, the Catholic church. And we also needed to become a place that, that uh, Catholic parents and Catholic families could send their kids without breaking their bank. And so there was a lot of effort, and this is to be praised, on the part of the administration to bring in students that otherwise couldn't have afforded or wouldn't even come because they would be so such the minority on campus. Right. That was great. You know, that was that's exactly the kind of thing that a Catholic institution should do, the Catholic church institution on the planet mm-hmm. and in human history. So it's in our wheelhouse. <laughs> the problem is is that we did not go the Catholic route of towards diversity and inclusion. We went the secular, and I would even say, I, I don't want to get people upset here, but the Marxist route, meaning the identity politics route, where you, 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 you put one group of students over and against another group. And I think that's what Tony, Dr. Eslin, was referring to as the politicization of the college. There were a number of us, I was definitely part of that, that said, let's approach this issue, inclusion and diversity, from a Catholic perspective, because as long as, it, when we're talking about race and ethnicity, Catholicism has got a long experience, yeah. and, uh, you know, not a perfect record, of course, nothing is, but a long experience of doing this kind of thing. Let's do it that way. And they, we just couldn't, the people they hired to implement the diversity and inclusion goals on the whole, were, did, did not know the Catholic faith. They were not approaching it from a Catholic perspective, and therefore they were. Ultimately, what we got was this sort of us versus us versus them dynamic. And then you include that's bad enough the way our country works as far as race and ethnicity, mostly race. But then you include a much more difficult issue, which is what about welcoming and including uh, homosexual students or, or students with uh, gender dysphoria and such. Mm-hmm. That becomes a much greater issue. And that if all you can talk about is that Providence College will do everything it can to make everyone feel welcome, uh, you're basically setting these students up um, for uh, to be betrayed yeah. when it it turns out that Catholicism has something to say. I believe it's true, and I believe it's beautiful and welcoming and affirming, but in our secular society, it can be seen as bigoted and exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of us, again, said, let's deal with this issue from the get-go, not giving the students one impression and then pulling the rug out from under when an issue comes up about Whatever. You know. I mean, how can you have a Catholic identity as a school if ultimately what you're educating your student body in isn't leading them toward our eternal destination, right? Right. You can't. And especially you can't when certain aspects of the Catholic faith are seen by the society as, as uh, contrary to human dignity, mm-hmm. um, hate speech or bigotry. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta approach that, that issue, you know, boldly and 
honestly, because my concern primarily is the dishonesty. And then Catholicism not only says things some of these students don't want to hear, but it also comes across as betrayal, as not being what was promised. And that is exactly where Providence College has landed itself. And Michael has exposed what some of us saw before, not as great prophets, I think anyone could have seen it, but he's exposed the fact that we've now given the impression to many, many of our students, the activists in particular, that they need to be safe from Catholic teaching about sexuality and marriage. Right, right, yeah. And that's a catastrophe. It is absolutely a catastrophe. It's it's a self-defeating proposition. So let's come back to the issue with Michael specifically. I mean, you know, he told me that the night before last, he was called to this meeting. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, 75 people, uh, most of them are all of them college employees, to talk about this issue. Um, he said that it came across as, we're just going to basically bring you in here and all vent about how much trouble you've caused the school. And then everybody yeah. was asked to turn in their cell phones so that nobody could record it. Were you present at this meeting? I wasn't present because I'm not allowed to be present. Ah, okay. I did I did speak. This was a, a this was a an all-RA meeting, you know, okay. resident hall advisor. Um, and... One of the things that Michael has been facing is that he, when he goes to these meetings, he needs to make sure that there's a record because we're like many other colleges. We've devised, uh, not Steubenville, thank God, but we've <laughs> devised this system where you can get in trouble for violating what is called for, you know, our bias uh, rules. And um, <clears throat> Michael, of course, is concerned that one of the paybacks for causing so much trouble for the college is that someone is going to accuse him of making a homophobic statement or a racist statement, because this all gets mixed up, uh, a statement, and then try to get him into serious trouble. Right. And so Michael is very loath, uh, understandably so in my opinion, is very loath to, to put himself in a situation where he can be... Um, where, where someone can when can claim he said something and then try to get the school to go after him. Right. That unfortunately it happened with Dr. Esselin and it's happened with other faculty and students. It's a very bad system we have here. And so and so he wanted to make sure that there was an objective record of everything that was said about him and anything that he might say. It is also contrary to our rules, that when a student makes a claim of uh, Title IX in, in particular... Can you just briefly explain for the listeners who don't know what that is, what Title IX is? Title IX begin, began, of course, with the notion that, that students should have equal access to educational opportunities. Okay. Most people know about that with, you know, that the, you know, female athletes must have the, the, the same kind of opportunities to, to, to play and to get scholarships as as male athletes. That's what it began as. Okay. The Obama administration changed it to include sexual harassment and made it um, made it really quite put some very very strong and ultimately problematic. But let's just stick with the strong um, requirements on schools that um, sexual they had to police sexual harassment. 
thinking, rightly so, that uh, females, if they can be harassed on a campus without, without uh, you know, punishment and due process and right. fairness, uh, that they are being deprived of an educational opportunity. So the Obama administration had uh, had really made added to athletic opportunities and other kinds of opportunities that that colleges needed to um, set up systems by which claims of sexual harassment and sexual assault would be treated. And within them, they put very strong. Um, expectations upon the college that if a student comes forward with a complaint about sexual harassment or assault that that student is protected well the the cartoon which maybe your listeners have seen of uh, that was put up in michael's uh, the bathroom that is on michael's hall of him being anally raped for putting up the um poster yeah um is a title nine Incident. No question. No question. If it was for a woman, it would be super no question. But anyone with any sense knows that it's it's a it's also the same thing for a man. Right. So um, you would expect, and uh, I I believe it's it's required that the college do what it can to protect Michael from any backlash that he might suffer for making this accusation and um, you know I'm not a lawyer and this is something that the lawyers I guess are going to have to figure out but I don't think that you have if, when someone makes a claim like that and something and, and it's not a claim everyone it's knows it's documented I mean he's got a photo of the thing yeah it's documented that um, you don't have a meeting where people then get to pile on the person right, right. who brought them this seems to be so obvious to me and the dynamic you know your listeners may say for goodness sakes what's going on it's really not that surprising when you realize that um, the college's greatest concern at this point I don't it could have changed in the last you know 48 hours but up to this point is not to do anything to uh, signal their lack of concern about uh, issues of homophobia and and um, any sort of any sort of violation of safe space for um, underrepresented groups. So this is what I wanted that's to. That's been their primary. That's that's what's guided all of their decisions. Yeah. So this is what I wanted to ask you. Is yeah. I mean, why is this happening? This is this is crazy to me that it's across the board silence. We're just not going to deal with this. We're going to pretend like it didn't happen. He's not getting any acknowledgement or recognition. Do you think it, it strikes me as more than just complicity with a politically correct ideology? This is like they're living under a reign of terror. They're totally afraid of. Yes. Of, yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened, the reason, Doc, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. When Dr. Eslin wrote his piece about uh, the diversity cult, not not the best title in the world, but when um, he didn't pick it, but when he wrote it, it was after uh, you know Providence College had a wave of sort of you know what is called the demands. This comes out of the Black Lives Matter movement, and they occupied Father Shanley's office. He's our president, Father okay. Shanley, and they did, and they required him to sign 
a pledge to work on fulfilling these demands. Well, anyone with any sense would have said, gosh, you know, um, if they have legitimate uh, uh, concerns, they should be dealt with, but not in the in the character of demands, you know. But nonetheless, that's not what happened. Father Shanley did sign it. It's, it was posted to Instagram and all that kinds of thing. And that gave this group of students, you know, they're just kids, yeah. and you give them this sort of power, uh, that can go to one's head, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I think in some ways we've seen the bad side. The good side, of course, is, you know, when you bring in students who have not historically been here, black students and Hispanic students and, and students from lower socioeconomic things, you've got to really make an effort to make sure that they feel, uh, you know, okay here. Mm-hmm. And you can only do so much because, you know, we've all been to high school. You know how <laughs> right, that works. Right, right. But nonetheless, the uh, that was kind of screwed up. And it turned, as I said, sort of very politicized. And so this group now has um, th- believes with good reason that if they, you know, if if, if if they complain loud enough, the administration will hear them. And they've made it very clear to the administration, especially the the dean of the vice president for student affairs, that there there will be no um, siding with Michael. But I mean, you're a and, theology professor. Yeah. This is a Catholic college. You know, to what degree can these? Uh, how are these kids' expectations being so mismanaged that they think that coming to this school, there's not going to be a protection of Catholic teaching on campus, not just in the classroom, not just from the pulpit, but the freedom of speech of the students to say, "Hey, this is I'm a Catholic. We're Catholic. This is what we believe." It's about orientation. It's about saying these things right from the from the beginning i i mean i've been in some meetings surrounding of course now things have gotten really hot but mm-hmm. when in the very beginning of this i had some nice meetings with people who sort of realized heck you know we've given these students this impression and it's a uh, it's a bad one right and you know let's retrace our steps and see where we could have made this very clear um and normally that's orientation. Because right, we yeah, right on your way in the door. As a, as a Catholic college, mm-hmm. go on our website, you'd think, you know, we'd think, you'd think we're Steubenville or something like that. <laughs> everywhere you go. But when you come to campus, you know, for those orientation meetings, um, the Dominicans, and we have, we have a good group of young Dominicans on campus that are very eager to do this kind of thing. Their participation in those orientations have really been non-existent or just cursory. Um, that has to change. What? This is a, a, a serious wake-up call that um, that formation, if I can use that term, was not done. In fact, the opposite was done. They were given expectations that Catholicism would play no real role in their lives. Well, I mean, I hope and they're getting calls. that message. I hope they're hearing that wake-up call, whether or not they're being silent about it now. Um, but, you know, you bring up such an important point. You say you look at the website, you'd think it was Steubenville. What do you say to a Catholic parent? I mean, it's an age-old story. Catholic parent sends their kid to a Catholic school thinking they're going to get Catholic education, and they come home an atheist, or they come home, you know, totally, sure. you know, believing something other than what the church teaches. But, 
Yeah. What should Catholic parents be thinking about sending their son or daughter to Providence College, you know, expecting an authentic Catholic environment? Well, you know, uh, I am an employee of the college, and I can tell you that, I can, first of all, I can tell you, what do I say? I've had occasion to, to have these conversations. And what as I say is, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my college operates this way. Um, I can also say that there are there are a group of, of of faculty that will do their best to to educate your son and daughter and to befriend them. And uh, <clears throat> the Catholic faculty here have worked in recent years to form little communities, little put you know uh, platoons mm-hmm. of, of 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 Catholic faith and culture. Um, we've not gotten very much cooperation from the administration. In fact, zero. But uh, as, Providence College is, is unique. It is unique in the entire country because it is the only college um, that is run by the one of the few orders, male orders, in the United States, which is um, increasing numbers. That's the St. Joseph Province. Mm-hmm. Most people who know the St. Joseph Province um, through, you know, through the Thomistic Institute or through the Magnificat, um, they think of the, the, the St. Joseph Province as very dynamic and, and very hopeful because they have so many young men coming to the, you know, for their vocations. They had to build an extra wing onto the House of Studies in D.C. Right. And they're the ones who own Providence College, you know, go figure. And so um, what do I say? I say, well, we're not, the young Dominicans have not quite made their mark yet. Um, It's a struggle within the province. Um, And I don't know how it's going to turn out, but the sheer numbers of young Dominicans are, is is going to you know is going to have its effect at at the moment now there are very few young Dominicans who are permanent faculty members they send them here for a couple of years you may know um, your listeners might know that the uh, group of them four young Dominicans sent out a message from the chaplain's office which I think is now on the internet um, not supportive of Michael but putting the the uh, not explicitly supportive of Michael, but uh, making it very clear that the poster was put up within a context, basically as a response to a lesbian marriage one. Mm-hmm. And this is a sign of hope. This, this is There's hope here. Is that sign on the it, website? I mean, is that statement on the website? I'd like to put that up in our show notes for people it, to look at. It's on, um, I believe it's on the life site okay. uh, one. No, the college has... <laughs> The college didn't even send it out to the faculty. They're keeping it, basically. <laughs> They're putting that light under a bushel. Come but, to Providence you know, College, where our Catholicism is in stealth mode, 24-7. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, uh, you can't really do that with, with now with the Internet. Yeah, and no, so that that's not thing how that works. out there, and it's a beautiful statement. It's, I, wish, I wish it had come out a little bit stronger that Michael was not to be harassed, but it's, they're the chaplains, and yeah. that's really yeah. not... That for them, I mean, they can't really make that that assertion, and it's a good statement. Uh, you might know the Bishop of of Providence, Thomas Tobin, mm-hmm. sent a letter to to Michael, which um, 
uh, which is really good. And I think and uh, Michael uh, is free and has done and has put that that on the internet as well. When did he receive that? Because I know that that the bishop was tweeting a couple of things. I saw that, but he I don't think Michael mentioned letter, it to me. I believe yesterday. Okay. Uh, morning. Yes, and it's a really good, it's a good statement. It's what you would hope for from a local ordinary. I mean, he doesn't run the college, right? Um, but he definitely calls. He, he says <clears throat> it's very very beautiful and and pertinent. He says that Providence College stands at a crossroads, and mm. this has been revealed. So, I myself think we passed the crossroad <laughs> a couple of miles back, and we'd have to go back to get to the crossroad. But you know, um, just stop driving and turn around. Yeah, yeah, you got to do um, that thing where you ask for directions. Don't keep going. <laughs> Exactly. My wife but tells me that all the time. But. <laughs> I don't expect the bishop to to say anything other than, you know, because you know, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to communicate that all hope is lost at Providence College, and it's not. Right. But um, if I were a Catholic parent and I had a if I had a son like Michael, I would think twice. Yeah. Because. Uh, you know, Michael's parents. One of the first thing that happened is that Michael's father. I've met the I've met the Michael's parents, and they're wonderful Catholic um, Catholic uh, parents. They contacted the president and and asked for a meeting right when this thing was getting going, mm-hmm. and it was refused. Mm. It was refused, and you know that is I, I can't remember if Michael says that in any of his any of his things, but to me, right there was. If I were a Catholic parent, and I knew that, and, and by, by the way, the president has, uh, up to this point, unless Michael has sent me a text, um, has made no attempt to to speak with Michael. We're a four thousand student college. We're not right, right. University of Michigan. Yeah, this is not hard. You know, you sit you sit the student down, you have a conversation, but that has been refused. And, uh, what about you? That, Are that, you getting pushback uh, for your defense uh, of Michael yeah, in the situation? I, I I am, you know, I'm tenured, and um, you know they they can't really mess with me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, my wife works here, so that gives me a bit of a, yeah. a shield. My name has been besmirched, you know, amongst the student body mm-hmm. as some sort of crazy racist homophobe, which basically means that it's a badge of honor for everybody who wants their kids to learn something. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, and that that's disturbing to me. I'm not in any way that person. Uh, Michael came to me. Uh, uh, I didn't know him before this happened. I am a person who is known for knowing the ropes, mm-hmm. how you negotiate the policies, because I also was the advisor to uh, to Dr. Esselin, mm. as he could tell you. Uh, I just happened to know, because I was involved in writing up a lot of our procedures. And so, you know, people come to me, and, um, you know, I help them out if I can. And uh, I've been so impressed with Michael. He is such a, a tremendous young man. He's a I've sharp kid. So ashamed of Mike. Yeah, super sharp. And he speaks, He he's his own guy. He is. He's a little bit older than your freshman. I think he's a year older because he was in the seminary. Mm-hmm. He is nobody's puppet. That's been said. No, he is uh, not. 
Uh, you meet him, you talk to him for two seconds, and you know this guy knows exactly what he's about. He's he's really he's really much better than the college deserves, um, and it's been my honor to really help him. And the fact that the college can't come straight out and say Catholic speech is not hate speech, and the um, uh, it's what's happened to Michael is completely and utterly unacceptable. Is uh, it it's you know I'm an old Catholic faculty member, and you know talk to any Catholic faculty member who's not at us, Steubenville, you know, we've been through the wars, Yep. and we've developed our, our wounds and our cynicism, but I did not predict this one. I thought this is easy, it's right down the center of the, you know, center of the plate. This is something they can really simply say, you know, we wish he hadn't done it because, you know, it's not prudent, blah, 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 but it's Catholic teaching, and the idea that you're safe from Catholic teaching at our college is a misunderstanding that we're probably responsible for. <clears throat> I thought they would say it. They didn't say it. The chaplains came really close to saying it. I'm super happy about that. It took the bishop to say it. I wouldn't have predicted any of those things. Well, I think that the only thing that we can really do, um, you know, Michael needs the support of his fellow Catholics, and that's why we're we're doing this interview. That's why the the stories are being written because there has to be accountability. And the university or the college apparently doesn't think that they need to be accountable, and they do. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on and talking to me about this. So thank you. Yeah, I want let me thank you because the I've been very gratified that the Catholic press has 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 decided that this is this is something that needs to be reported. And it gives a certain protection to Michael, and uh, I've been gratified by it. So I'm very happy to, to speak with you. Well, we're just doing our jobs, and I know you are too. And, and please pass my regards to the uh, the resistance of, of faculty there who are holding <laughs> the ground. For those parents who are sending their kids there, I mean, we need you guys to, to stay in the trenches. So thank you. I'll be happy to do that. Thank uh -huh. you again. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. If you have downloaded this podcast through iTunes, we encourage you to go there and leave us a review to help others find and enjoy our show. If you would like to support our work, go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate to make a tax deductible contribution. This not only helps to pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojek. Thanks for listening.